Welcome to the first episode of Token Up, a podcast powered by Neufund, where we analyze the emerging security token ecosystem without the bullshit. I'm Melina Ronstadt. I'm the blockchain reporter at Neufund, and I'm joined by my co-host Alex Molay, who's our investor relations manager. Thanks, Marlene. Great to be here today. So before we begin, what is Token Up all about? Here, we will feature interviews with a variety of experts from the blockchain and security token space. We will also include debates on the regulatory landscape or invite our competitors to chat about security tokens. So you may have seen Alex's first post on Medium a few weeks ago already, where he gave an overview of security tokens, the competitive landscape and the potential market opportunity. To kick things off, we thought we'd talk about the topic a bit more in detail today. So Alex, you have worked with JP Morgan for roughly five years as a banker, and you're familiar with financial services and pitched to a lot of VC deals to clients. Looking back, what are the biggest drawbacks with how VC is structured today? Um, yeah, so I think there are a number of problems with uh, traditional venture capital, and you know, it's, it's both for investors and for founders there are issues. So for investors, it's a highly liquid investment, and typical lockup periods range anywhere from five to 10 years even more pronounced on the founder side is, you know, you want to raise money from venture capital investors. It takes you anywhere from six to 12 months per round. And that's assuming that you already have a network, which is a big, uh, which is a big assumption, particularly for first time founders who are just starting, you know, just starting out and, and generally don't have that network. You need to go to them one by one. So you're usually limited to your region. You can't just go out and raise money from anyone. You're usually limited to just accredited and institutional investors, which is a big drawback in today's, uh, in today's digital world. And then, of course, there's syndicate building. So sometimes one investor doesn't want to work with the other or someone wants the deal to be different and so on. And it's like this per round. It's a tedious and manual process, not to mention paper-based. So you know, I think that's why we've seen the ICO or the initial coin offering sort of explode in the last few years. So in 2017, ICOs have become a very popular mechanism of fundraising. Where exactly do you see the attraction of ICOs? Yeah, I think there are a number of things that are compelling about ICOs. Um, there's also some glaring drawbacks to that model as well, which, which we can talk about. A compelling thing about ICOs is that you issue your token, it represents a certain offer, and it's take it or leave it. And if you want to do that again, you just simply issue more tokens. Uh, removes the headaches of syndicate building, as, as, as we just discussed. So it, it also naturally allows for thousands of people to invest in your project, which, again, in VC is just not possible today. And then there are secondaries, which in traditional VC practically don't exist. So imagine I'm a startup founder and my company is pretty mature. You know, my friends, they went around, they're, you know, working in consulting at BCG or EY. And I'm five years into building my business and I'm still living on a startup salary, even though Crunchbase says my company is valued at $100 million. It would be nice to sell a share, I think. But uh, unfortunately, this market doesn't exist in traditional VC. And that's something that ICOs, again, have brought to the table You know, with various crypto exchanges that allow these coins to be, uh, to be traded. Um, you're seeing... You're seeing I think both bad actors and good actors, but to put my, you know, to put my optimistic hat on, I would say it does really enable founders who are in this for the long haul to at least see the fruits of their labor, um, you know, before that, you know, 10 year lockup period ends. And I think this is really the beauty of blockchain and tokenization. It's why I think people view this as so revolutionary. And I think another really interesting example, so Spotify recently IPO'd. 
imagine I have a share in Spotify and you want to buy it from me. There's literally no way we can do this. Sure, you can go buy a share of Spotify on Fidelity or Charles Schwab or whichever brokerage platform you use, but you can't actually buy my share of it. And with you know, with the advent of crypto wallets, of course, you can do that. It's very simple. It's a simple process. I think, though, you know, like I said, there are a lot of advantages to the ICO model, but there is one glaring problem, and it's that these ICOs are neither legally binding nor are they secure for investors. So you're essentially making a donation with zero guarantee that you're going to get paid back or that you're ever going to see your money again. So for the listeners out there who might not be that familiar with the topic yet, ICO stands for Initial Coin Offering. Alex, could you maybe explain us where that comes from and what exactly an ICO is? Absolutely. So like you said, ICO, initial coin offering, it's um, at its core, it's a new fundraising mechanism on blockchain, which allows projects to collect funds from investors who in return receive a promise for crypto tokens in the future. And I would say in its pure form, this token is a utility token. And these tokens are meant to provide access or future access to a certain product or service. Like I said, ICOs have become a pretty controversial form of financing for good reason. And yet they're still very compelling. And, you know, we've seen the market for these things explode. So I, I think the latest figures are something like 14 billion in total funding, uh, most of it coming in the last two years. Funding this year has already surpassed that of last year, and we're you know about half, a little over halfway through the year. And the number of ICOs conducted this year have also surpassed that of last year. So you're not seeing this trend go away slowly. Um, you are seeing more and more people, I think, expose some of the drawbacks to this model. Um, and I think that's really what the beauty of security tokens is, and and what we can talk about. But it's th this has um, this has been an eye-opening last few years, I think, for you know for financial services in general. So, looking at it from a more technical perspective, a lot of those tokens which we're seeing are actually um, tokens which are issued on the Ethereum blockchain. So, they are so-called ERC twenty tokens. They're fungible, which means that every ERC twenty token kind of has the same properties, but they can be augmented through smart contracts, which then govern the behavior of those tokens. And basically you can imagine the smart contracts as being if statements. So if a certain scenario is given, then the token will behave accordingly. So that is just the technical background to those tokens. And there are different types of tokens. There are security tokens, there are utility tokens. A lot of the ICOs issued actually utility tokens. So what are actually the drawbacks of those different tokens? As we've sort of discussed, most ICOs that have been conducted so far were done by issuing these quote-unquote utility tokens. And as you mentioned, utility tokens are essentially a promise for a future promise for you know the use of a product or a service and i think you know last year we heard everybody raving about the benefits of these icos this year seems to have been marked with a little bit more regulatory uncertainty and maybe a closer examination of their merits and i think you know part of the reason for that is when you invest in utility tokens you're not receiving a financial security that enables you to take part in the profits of the project or the company that you're funding Again, like you're, you're simply getting access to a product or a service. It's kind of like 
credit card reward points that your bank offers you in some way. Save aside the debate over whether these things are a security or not, there's a lot of controversy about these tokens, and some of it focuses on the economic validity of utility tokens. And what I mean by that is this theory of entangled token. Take, for example, let's use Ethereum, because that's one that I think hopefully everybody has heard of. There are three different parties, really, when you're, when you're talking about a token. There are the users of that token, so people who want to use it for development purposes. There's investors in that token, and there are speculators. So all of these three parties have misaligned incentives. The, as a user, you want the price to be as low as possible because you're relying on that token to facilitate development of your network. As an investor, you want the token to gain value, and so you want it to appreciate in price. Uh, and as a speculator, well, you just want the price to oscillate and <laughs> you want to take part in the chaos. Um, and so, as I said, all of these three parties have misaligned incentives. Um, and I think what's really interesting is you, you take the investor, for instance, you want the network to grow in value. So perhaps you promote the token through if you're an influential on social media, then, you know, maybe you're promoting the token through your own private channels. Or maybe you hoard it because you really believe in it, so the tokens are more scarce. But the more expensive the network, the less users are going to want to use it, uh, and the more likely they will search for alternatives because we're you know, in a very commoditized market where it's not uncommon that one decentralized service protocol mimics that of another, and it's quite relatively easy, I would say, to move to that platform should the economics work out. Vitalik goes into a more formal explanation of this misalignment in his post on Medium of Exchange. He explains the problem via math formula, which I am not smart enough to do. But I think it's, it's a really interesting dilemma and one that more and more people are starting to wake up to. So there's been a lot of talk on security tokens, which seem to solve this problem. Can you explain us what security tokens are and how they evolved from utility tokens? So security tokens, they are financial securities that seek to comply with the financial regulatory authority under the jurisdiction they're issued. These tokens represent a right to an underlying asset, such as a share of equity, a pool of real estate, or holdings in another fund. And most importantly, these tokens, their benefit, frankly, to just having a traditional share of equity or a traditional bond, their benefit is that they're designed to automate most of the processes that today are, frankly, performed by a lot of back office employees at banks and asset managers and custodians, etc. And I think that can be a really sensitive topic because Automation itself generally means that people's livelihoods are at stake and people could lose their job. But it's nonetheless a fact of, of where we are in today's society that you know these processes can be automated. They can be baked into the smart contracts that powered these tokens. And I think that's where their real promise lies. So if you compare security tokens to ICOs or to VC funding, where do you see the benefits of security tokens over VC and ICOs? Like I mentioned, these tokens are technologically enhanced, so they can offer an array of financial rights to an investor, such as 
dividends, profit sharing, resolution voting, buyback rights, you name it, it can all be baked into the token, so to speak. What's even better is that these tokens can also provide the same qualities of a so-called utility token while still offering tangible equity in a company. So, um, you know, these rights, like I said, are programmed into a smart contract that governs each token. They are also immediately transferable, providing much needed liquidity. And what's even better is these tokens can also provide the same qualities of so-called utility tokens while still offering tangible equity in a company. So for example, imagine you're driving a Tesla. Tesla is a listed company on the New York Stock Exchange. And if you own a share of it, you're entitled to certain things like dividends, you're entitled to vote on shareholder resolutions, etc. So what's really cool, if you were an equity token holder in Tesla, not only would all those dividends and shareholder resolutions, etc. be baked directly into the token and automated, so removing the need for you know, others to manage that process, you could also bake utility features into this equity token. So Tesla is a connected car. Imagine that as a equity token holder, you had special access to either certain software updates or other type of functionality that the general public, anybody else in the general public who's driving a Tesla that isn't an equity token holder couldn't actually use because they don't have the same access to those utility features. And I think that's probably a really cool thing. And it, you know, Tesla perhaps is, is just one example, but you could see this taking place across a variety of different industries. And I think it's interesting because it combines the best of what a utility token offers, but it still gives investors that protection that, uh, as a shareholder that, that they deserve for their investment. And I think those advantages have already convinced a lot of founders and established market players because there is a growing industry around the tokenization of securities. So could you maybe tell us who are the big players here and which ideas are they pushing into the market? Definitely. So I, I think the competitive landscape for security tokens is really interesting. First off, most of these projects appear to be in a pretty nascent stage despite a great deal of recent interest in the space. So I think there's an opportunity for teams that can that can rapidly execute and implement their vision. And I think what's also interesting is that many companies are focused on different solutions. Um, when you look at the market, there are uh, providers that are focused on issuance. Um, there are platforms that combine both issuance and secondary offerings. There are pure secondary exchanges. There are existing tokenized securities, there are existing tokenized VC funds, and there are liquidity providers. So there is a massive, massive market, and you're really starting to see what we refer to as an ecosystem start to sprout up. Um, you know, some are focused on tokenizing alternative assets like art and real estate. Others are focused on more traditional use cases like equity and debt. And I like to say that 2018 has kind of been the year of announcements, particularly for sort of emerging players. You saw in the beginning of the year, Securitize announced the soft launch of their issuance platform. Open Finance, which I believe they're partnered with, recently just launched a security token trading platform. They just announced it, I think, at the end of last month. Polymath, a, a big security token issuer, announced plans earlier this spring to purchase a stake in the Barbados Stock Exchange. Coinbase, 
recently announced that it acquired three SEC regulated entities and that it will enable secondary trading of security tokens, hopefully by the end of the year. You know, there's Harbor, which raised almost $30 million from Founders Fund and Andreessen Horowitz. They are embedding a compliance protocol directly into security tokens. T0, which is actually a subsidiary of Overstock.com, which you don't necessarily think about when you think of security tokens. They entered into a joint venture with Box Holdings, and they are working on creating an exchange to both list and trade security tokens. Shares Post, which actually got started before the whole blockchain wave started to take off as a, as a secondary market for traditional VC instruments. I think they have woken up to the, the power of what security tokens offer, and so they are launching a secondary trading platform for security tokens uh, and, and also just raised uh, about $15 million. So um, you're seeing a lot of these emergent players, not all of whom are startups, of course. T0, like I said, Coinbase wouldn't necessarily call them a startup at this point with you know almost 20 million users, but nonetheless, a lot of these emergent players coming into the space. And on the other side, you also have the quote-unquote traditional uh, exchanges that are really trying to catch up. And I think globally, they're adopting blockchain technology at an increased rate. You're seeing a lot of different exchanges come out and talk either generally or a little bit more granularly about uh, the opportunity for blockchain. Though I would say many are focused more on cryptocurrencies or payments rather than security tokens. For instance, CME Group and CBOE both launch Bitcoin futures. There are Ethereum and Ripple futures uh, that were launched by crypto facilities in the UK. Um, Börse Stuttgart is launching a crypto trading app called uh, Bison uh, in, in the fall of this year. Deutsche Börse uh, is creating a securities lending solution building on the R3 quarter blockchain, and they have hinted that they won't stop there. Um, in their latest uh, Investor Day presentation, they listed you know, DLT technology as one of the firm's actual core pillars for its five-year business strategy. NASDAQ is partnering with Citi to build an integrated blockchain payment system. But I would say most of the focus has been on cryptocurrencies or payments rather than security tokens, but there are a few important examples of, of where exchanges have entered into this field. The Australian Stock Exchange, for instance, announced back in 2015 that they were going to replace their entire clearing and settlement system with a DLT-based system by 2020. So that's very exciting. You've seen uh, the Gibraltar Stock Exchange came out at the beginning of the year and uh, announced the creation of both the blockchain exchange, uh, which will trade, which will be an exchange for utility tokens, as well as revamping their uh, their current stock exchange to allow for the trading of, of tokenized securities. So I think there's a lot of progress that's being made. Um, recently as well, you've also seen uh, Six Swiss, the Swiss stock exchange come out and announce the creation of, of a tokenized securities platform as well. So I think there have been a lot of recent developments, and I would anticipate seeing more and more of those in the coming months as more and more people recognize uh, the opportunity here. Yeah, it seems like a lot of stock exchanges are moving forward with listing also security tokens. So what do you think is here the overall opportunity size? 
Yeah, so I think the overall opportunity size is enormous, and it depends, of course, who you ask. It, according to Polymath, um, they projected that security tokens will represent a value of $10 trillion by 2020. Um, and while that number may seem laughable at first glance, you know, if you really put it into context, it's not so, it's not so crazy. NASDAQ alone has a market cap of $10 trillion. The World Economic Forum predicts that over the next 10 years, 10% of the world's GDP will actually become crypto. So meaning that approximately $10 trillion of financial products and services could undergo tokenization. Um, if you look at just non-investable real estate assets, that's valued at a, approximately $136 trillion. So when you're talking about tokenizing real world assets and you think of the entire value of real world assets that exist, the number is, is extraordinary. Um, and therefore the opportunity for tokenization itself is extraordinary. And it just remains to be seen sort of, you know, how fast we will get there. But I, I do see a future where this is, is a trillion dollar or more opportunity. So it seems like security tokens have a bright future. I'm really looking forward to discuss the topic more in detail in the coming weeks when we will speak about the competitive landscape and security tokens. So for now, thanks for listening to everyone. If you want to join the debate, feel free to approach us on Telegram, where you can reach out to us, or follow us on Twitter at Neufund.org, at Alexander E.C. Molle, or at Ronsted. So that's it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening.